Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Think Anesthesia Continuing Education Podcast. Uh, I am your host for this episode, and my name is Dr. Amanda Kala. I'm a technical services veterinarian for Drox Animal Health. Today, we welcome Wendy Davies. She is a veterinary technician specialist in physical rehabilitation and the president and CEO of the Academy of Physical Rehabilitation Veterinary Technicians. She helped to found the Integrative Medicine Service at the University of Florida Veterinary Teaching Hospital with Dr. Kristen Kirkby Shaw, where she currently practices as a VTS and shares her knowledge with colleagues and students alike. Thank you so much for joining us today, Wendy. Thank you for having me, I'm excited. Of course, you have a very impressive resume. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to the rehab world? Oh, geez. So. I started at the university about 23 years ago, and I ended up starting off in anesthesia, actually, which um, I do love anesthesia. I just didn't like being on call. So <laughs> I'm like, oh, we're not going to do that anymore. So I did anesthesia for probably about seven years total. And then I moved to uh, shelter medicine for a couple of years. And then I decided that I couldn't do that anymore because I kept collecting animals. And so and we need to go someplace else. So then I moved to orthopedics. So I was in orthopedics for a couple of years and learned all that stuff. And then that's where our, uh, Dr. Shaw, Kirkby Shaw was there. Um, she was one of our residents. She was a student, then she was a resident, then she was faculty. So um, she had this idea to start a rehab program at the university. And so I helped her go through all the rigmarole that you have to do with the university setting to get a new service created. Um, and so for a long time, it was just me and her and she was doing surgery and I was doing the rehab part of things and stuff. And, and then it just kind of grew. Kristen left me. Um, she went to Washington state. It was very sad, but um, she left. And then we had other veterinarians filling in. And then right now um, we have three faculty. We have two residents, um, a specialty intern, plus students, plus two other technicians besides myself that are in the service now. So it's pretty much blown up and we've kind of already grown out of our spot that we have at the university. So I don't know what's gonna happen with that, but we're, we're pretty busy. So I'm pretty happy with how things have turned out. That's fantastic. And you definitely have a very well-rounded background. So what is a typical day in your service like? So we'll do evaluations, we'll do rechecks. The majority of what we do is therapy drop-offs, like the owners will drop off their pet in the morning and then pick it up at whatever scheduled time after that, whether it be late afternoon, early afternoon. And we'll do all of the therapies during that time as they dropped off. We usually ask about three to four hours. And that's just so we can give them time in between each exercise or whatever, you know, so they can give a little rest instead of like back to back to back. Um, and the evaluations, the doctors will evaluate them and find out if they need any further diagnostics or if they decide to do like joint injections or regenerative medicine or shockwave or any of that jazz that comes along with my field. Um, and then rechecks are just, we still do therapy on those as well, but we usually recheck things every four weeks. We run the gamut. We're definitely integrative. Um, so we do internal medicine sometimes we'll do shockwave we'll do hyperbaric medicine we do acupuncture we do nutrition so it's kind of a hodgepodge of things that we do so I have my 
hands full with a lot of that stuff. I stay busy. The students help a lot I and mean, it helps them learn. We have the, the time to let them learn how to do things instead of being super fast with everything so they can practice their orthopedic exams, practice their neurologic exams and, and get good at those. So they're comfortable with those, which is probably the one thing that I want them to learn. If they don't learn anything else, I want them to feel comfortable with ortho and neuro exams because they're super important when you get out of school. And it's some of those things that are in the service and it's a really busy service and they don't have time to learn because they're trying to figure out how to use the reflexometer so they don't know how to hammer because <laughs> it's not a hammer it's just bounces off but anyways so um you, you just have to teach them that stuff because nobody teaches them stuff and especially with rehab and integrative is they're not really taught about muscles in your freshman year you do your your anatomy lab and you have these gray gross looking dead animals to dissect but then when it comes to actually figuring out what those muscles do on a live animal and where they are and what they're responsible for. It kind of gets left by the wayside, especially in orthopedics, because you're like concentrating on, oh, it's a cruciate. So we're going to do TPLO. Oh, it's hip dysplasia. So it's the hip joint. But in rehab, we are able to kind of concentrate on the rest of the animal as well. Because yes, it might have cruciate disease or something, but it also has compensatory issues. Neck, shoulders, they're throwing their weight in different ways and things like that. So getting them to think the whole animal um, as far as what can happen, I always kind of liken it to people. Like if you twist your ankle, what's the first thing? Everything hurts besides your ankle when you're walking after a few days because you're limping and your other side hurts and now your neck hurts and your back hurts and all that kind of stuff because things are just off. And so being able to make them realize that and get comfortable with feeling muscles and what a normal muscle feels like and what an abnormal muscle feels like is kind of a big part of what we teach them in integrative. That sounds like it's a really good opportunity for your students and definitely really good lessons for general practice. And so for our general practitioners out there, is there anything you think that they could employ in their general practice to help their outcomes for their patients or their post-op pain management that we're not really doing on a regular basis? Yeah, I think like the biggest thing that's being sold in general practice is probably going to be a laser because they kind of market those to pain management, wound healing, and it's fantastic modality to have. And it does help with pain management and it can help with healing up wounds really fast, which is the one thing that you can actually see happening when you're using it. Because a lot of times you're using this light and you're shining it on something, you're like, I don't know what it's doing, you know, but it <laughs> wounds heal up much faster when you're using that. So like at post-op cases and things like that, so they can get those sutures out faster and get them moving. A biggest thing is probably just massage, you know, like it doesn't re require any, you know, fancy training or something. Obviously you can get fancy training if you want to for right. massage and trigger points. Just kind of take the time to feel the dog. Like where do you think the dog is tight? Where are they reacting on certain muscles? Where do you think they will react? If it's a hip dog, then they're probably going to be sore on their neck and shoulders because they're throwing more weight forward. If it's a back dog, same thing. They're throwing more weight forward because they're trying to get it off their back end because it's not working quite right. So just that basic stuff is good. The other thing that I think that a lot of general practitioners don't feel really comfortable with is doing joint taps oh, and joint injections. Definitely. They're actually not that hard. And so stifle, especially, because that's a pretty easy joint to get into as far as feeling landmarks and what you're looking for. So 
being able to get a joint fluid sample and then injecting, whether it's steroids, hyaluronic acid, whatever, just to get the joints more comfortable, or at least if the dog has a septic joint, you know, you don't have to send them to a specialist to be like, oh, you have an infected joint. It's pretty easy to do. And I think that when students are on my service, if we have them, we teach them how to do it and we let them do it as we're teaching them. So at least, and then they the number one thing they say afterwards is like, oh, that was kind of easy. So if we can get people more comfortable with that, they can do a lot more for their patients rather than sending to a specialist to, to figure out that it has a septic joint or something. So um, just little simple things like that. What's the difference between a, a withdrawal reflex and deep pain? So <laughs> if they don't learn anything else in veterinary school, <laughs> just learn that because it's a huge prognostic indicator, obviously. So in, in general practice, because, oh, it pulled its foot away. doesn't mean that it can actually feel its foot. And it's kind of time is of the essence with those kind of guys when they go down. So just being able to recognize that is huge. I'm not saying all general practitioners don't know what they're doing, but it's a huge thing that the students kind of don't realize when they're doing their exams. And they're like, oh, we pulled his foot back. I'm like, did he turn around and look at you? No, he's just looking off into the sky. You know, I'm like, that's a reflex. So just trying to get them to realize what the difference is between those two. If we teach them now when they're in school, they'll remember it when they get out. They can kind of tell the difference between what's emergent and what's like we can probably do some cage rest. It's definitely good to have the confidence in those things that you're going to see all the time and your diagnosis. Yes. That's, that's a really good point. Do you have a favorite thing that you treat with or disease that you treat in your service? I love neuro dogs. I love back dogs because those are probably, probably the most rewarding things because they come to you and they're not walking and then a week later, hopefully, knock on wood, they're walking. And so they're like, that's cool. And you really get to know them because you work with them daily because a lot of times they're hospitalized after surgery. And so we'll just treat them in hospital. And so we can kind of give them a big jump start to go um, forward before they get discharged to go home um, and kind of get a feel for how the dog is. Each dog is different. Your bitey dachshunds, and then you have your really sweet dachshunds and what can the owner do at home? Because a lot of the home care, you have to take into consideration the environment and who the people are and are they elderly and they have this 80 pound down dog. It's like these kind of things you have to think about. What's their flooring like? Like down here in Florida, everything is wood floors. So if you have an elderly dog or a back dog that's trying to walk on the wood floors and slipping a lot, then you can decide to get a bunch of runners around your house. <laughs> might not look very fancy, but at least the dog will give her room to room. And so if somebody is really interested in what you do and they want to learn more or become certified, do you have any tips or information about how to do that for them? Yeah, there's actually several programs around the country that do specialize in certifying people for rehab. The Canine Rehab Institute is in South Florida and also in Colorado. They kind of split their time. Healing Oasis, I believe, is in Wisconsin. And then the University of Tennessee has a rehab course as well. So if they're a veterinarian or if they're a, a, a veterinary technician, most of the times the requirement is they have to be a certified or registered or licensed technicians to get into these courses. Some of them require the veterinarian to have gone through the course as well. Obviously, the techs can't practice all this medicine and diagnosing without the veterinarian involved. So getting that veterinarian certified and then having the tech follow along can make be really good for the practice. The, the doctor does the exam and then the tech can take it from there as far as treatments. We can carry out those plans that you had made. As far as being a VTS, it takes a little bit more 
oomph to get to there. It's not something that you have to do, obviously, but getting specialized was a cool thing to do, especially in academia where everyone wants letters after their names. To do that, you have to have been in practice for at least five years with three of them being with rehab 75% of the time. And then you have to go through a pretty rigorous application process and case studies and in case reports that are publication quality. So a lot of times I think people, when they get certified in rehab, they're like, oh, I'm just going to go for my VTS. Like it's no big deal, but it's actually a huge deal. And so it's much different than being rehab certified to be a VTS because it's a lot more on the academic side of things, having really good case reports and being able to talk professionally and write professionally. If there's something that they're interested in, obviously I don't want to discourage them because the more the merrier, we need more people, but it isn't something to be taken lightning when you go into it. That definitely sounds like a bit of an adventure, but hopefully very worthwhile. It's definitely led to some wonderful things for your career. Absolutely. Yeah. You get speaking engagements and book chapters and write articles. So having those letters behind you can help you advance a little bit in other things besides working day to day with what you're doing. So yeah, absolutely. So physical rehabilitation is becoming more popular and more available in veterinary medicine, but it's not as common as some other specialties. Do you have any recommendations for people that are searching for their own physical rehab program? So all of the teaching institutions that I told you about earlier, CRI, Tennessee, Healing Oasis, they all have a find the therapist kind of thing that you can go into and search your state and then narrow it down to your area if someone's near you. People are always adding to that. So sometimes the list is behind the people that are actually ready to go. So sometimes I'll just Google, you know, (laughs) physical rehabilitation (laughs) in animals and then put the whatever city, Fort Lauderdale, and see what pops up. You just want to look to make sure that they are certified in what they're doing and not like, oh, we bought a pool and now we're going to do rehab because that's not exactly quite right. <laughs> so <laughs> you want to make sure that they know what they're doing, not going to make your dog worse. There's, there's definitely different levels there. Uh, and do you have a really memorable case or weird situation that just comes to mind when you think about rehab? I, I, we do a lot of wildlife cases, Ooh. weirdly enough, because we're actually right next door, literally to ZooMed in, in the university. And so I've done quite a lot of cases. We've had a the caiman swim in the pool. Ooh. We've had, you know, goats and ducks and I had a, what do you call that? Possum in the treadmill. <laughs> so a skunk swimming in the pool, all these crazy things. And I think, and that's fun because you're like, oh, look what I did today. And the students get really excited. They're like, I swam a skunk in the pool today. And so, yeah, it's, it's, It's fun. And the good thing about our service is we're willing to try anything. You don't think about, oh, I have this caiman. Hey, let's throw it on the pool. He was having trouble with uh, buoyancy. And so they're trying to see if he could swim, but all they could fill up was like a wet sink, which wasn't quite deep enough for him. And so we're like, let's try him in the pool and see what happens. And so we just let him do his thing. He sank to the bottom, which wasn't ideal, but we got him back out. So his buoyancy wasn't that great, but (laughs) but now we know. But, um, But yeah, we've done some pretty crazy stuff as far as large animals and small animals, exotics. We've made wheelchairs for iguanas. It's just as creative as you want to be, as you want to make it, which is what I always tell the students. And I was like, be creative, think like a dog, but you want the dog to do this. How would you do it yourself? 
And then they're like, oh, well, I would do this. I'm like, well, how do you make the dog do that? And I always kind of, you know, liken it back to the human aspect of things. Like, what does your bicep do? Like, oh, it flexes my elbow, you know? So they don't get lost in the words because a lot of times they'll get lost in them, your doctor words. It's like, you know, like this fossa attachment to here. I'm like, just tell me what it does. If you want to be a surgeon, then great. Know all that stuff. But as far as what I do, I just need to know what the muscle is responsible for and help it. So very clinically applicable all the time and definitely as crazy yeah. as you want it to be. And however adventurous it is. you are. Yes. <laughs> I'm actually currently treating a sandhill crane Ooh. that got shot. And so it has a fractured humerus, clavicle. And so he's got an external fixator on his humerus right now. And so I'm just working on laser and passive range of motion, stretching, trying to make sure he still has his range of motion. So when he does get the fixator off, hopefully, knock on wood, we'll be able to release him back into the wild. So that's the goal with a lot of these guys. Like I do a lot of hawks and owls for that reason. How frequently do you work with those patients until release? It depends on how far the doctors want to go with it. Um, a lot of times we will, like the sandhill crane, I think we've worked with it for at least two and a half or three weeks. Initially it was daily. Now it's every other day. Some of the hawks we'll work with daily to get them released. Bald eagles, especially because we definitely want to get those released because they're treated like a completely different entity you know we have to do everything we can to save them um so i've treated a couple bald eagles which is fun i get a, amazing opportunities at the veterinary school and i'm very thankful for the job that i have and the opportunities that i've been given um because i've done all sorts of crazy stuff both in anesthesia and rehab and orthopedics i've done all of these crazy things treating animals at SeaWorld, and i've run the gamut of things so I don't think I would ever have these opportunities if I hadn't been working at the university and live in Florida because obviously everything's right here. Florida definitely provides some opportunities, but yeah, <laughs> it's so exciting to work with so many different creatures in a whole host of different situations. And then also to open up new future veterinarians' minds into different yes. options and, and improving Absolutely. outcomes. That is what that's what I hope they get out of it. So I'm actually quite proud of our service and everyone seems pretty happy when they're on it. And when they leave, they're like, oh, I wish I could stay. So they have a lot of fun. They learn a lot. So that's what I'm about. Just have fun. I think you learn more when you're having fun than if you're scared to death. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. That's quite the measure of success. Your students enjoying your service and learning at the yes. same time. So quite proud of that. <laughs> Well, awesome. Thank you so much for your time and for joining us and talking about your journey in rehab medicine. Uh, it's been absolutely fascinating. I'm thankful for the opportunity to, to chat with you about all this because I know that everyone thinks it's an underwater treadmill. So <laughs> like it's way more than that. So I'm very happy to have been able to talk to you today. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us for this episode of our Think Anesthesia Continuing Education Podcast. <laughs>